0: Welcome to The Better Build, a podcast that explores the world of software engineering leadership and the people who are shaping it. Let's get to the episode.
1: Hey, Scott, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, welcome to our podcast, The Better Build, where we want to explore the world of software engineering leadership and the people who are shaping it. I'm Stefan, I'm the CEO at Mission. I'm going to be your host today. So Scott, you are a software engineer. You're currently the director of engineering for Ford Pro, which is a business unit within Ford, serving commercial customers. You previously played roles in software engineering for Ford's autonomous Vehicle platform and also at Pivotal Labs, which for 20 years was a professional services practice, which enabled clients with lean stream programming methodologies. You're based in Toronto and you told me... I quote, that you are too many hobbies to be good at any of them.
0: True. And yes, especially the hobbies parts. I have too many, probably too many to list here. To name a few, I'm interested in blacksmithing, DJing, woodworking, trying to learn welding. I'm trying to dabble a little bit in quantitative engineering. It's a lot of fun. So the way it kind of works is I have this idea of like, hey, why would I go buy that when I could go like do it myself for cheaper? There's a period in my life where I was really interested in bushcraft. One of the things about bushcraft is that you have to have really good equipment and so looking at this stuff and there's knives and they're like hundreds of dollars. I'm like, God, I don't want to do that. I, what if I just go build one? And so I end up building a forge and, and getting into that. And it took off. It's a lot of fun. I also burnt myself quite a bit. Woodworking, it's the same thing. So there's a whole saying in woodworking and it really resonated with me. It's like, why would you go and buy that dresser for $500 when you can build it for $1,500? So you got to buy the tools and stuff on top of it. You know, that's sort of how I got into software development where growing up, I had a computer, obviously like playing games like most kids. It was like a 286 in the era of 386s and four eighty sixes, and all the games I wanted. I couldn't though. So I'm like, well, why not just try making some of my own games? That's how sort of my interest got peaked into to
1: software development. I have a lot of friends, actually, software engineering friends who like woodworking as a hobby, you know, who is woodworking. At least you have something tangible at the end you know, that you can see, that you oh. can touch. Sometimes yeah. this is the part that we miss as uh, software engineer.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like we, we deal with software all day. We've got to build some hardware on the side.
1: Absolutely. So today we'll delve into your journey from your early days of software engineering and you already started at Ford. We also talk about how you implement extreme programming at Ford Pro. I think it's a very interesting topic and extreme programming being a software development methodology. And of course, we'll dive into this. What are the pros and cons? And of course, finally, I want to talk about where do you see software engineering going in the future? So tell us about your story, how you got there and what do you like as a software engineer? You got it.
0: So at a university, the first thing I did was start my own business. And that was around the time of when iPhone just came out and I I had a business developing mobile applications. Did that for a few years, was fairly successful. Ultimately wanted to move on to something bigger. And so my second job was moving into a professional services team called Extreme Labs, also based in Toronto. There I was really immersed into a lot of extreme programming methodologies, which we'll go into, I think in a bit, but, you know, got immersed in this really collaborative, fast paced environment. We were delivering stuff very, very quickly, also learning very quickly. And I got to work with a lot of different clients and get exposed to a lot of different application types, tech stacks, languages, work with banks, I was working with media companies, did that for a few years. We were acquired by a company called Pivotal, which was owned by a bigger company called EMC. And Pivotal as well, they practiced extreme programming as a methodology there too. Actually, Pivotal itself was a PaaS software company, so they developed Pivotal Cloud Foundry. And then I worked for Pivotal Labs, which is the professional services teams that enabled Pivotal's clients to use modern software delivery methodologies, extreme programming, lead product management, user-centered design, those types of things. And then I moved into the more of the management and leadership roles there at pivotal. I was leading a a practice of about a hundred people at its highest, probably higher for some time. Did a little bit of that in Texas as well. And one of the fun parts about professional services is you get to work with all sorts of different customers and businesses. So I would be with the customer for maybe a year, year and a half, two years was long. And then we'd say goodbye. And so I wanted to look for more of an opportunity or be at a place where I could actually be a part of a team that's building something long-term and we're building something bigger and I can go and see it through. So it wasn't just the SWAT team that you call in when you had to get something at the door quickly, we could build a sustainable practice with a product. And I could be a part of all those elements in the journey that a software team goes through, not just that sort of initial kickoff. I joined Ford in 2019 on their autonomous vehicle team, and we're building their autonomous vehicle platform. Today I work in Ford Pro. And how about I talk a little bit about Ford Pro?
1: Yeah, definitely. I want to know more about Ford Pro. First of all, what is it more important? What is it to work for such a big brand and one of the largest automotive companies in the world?
0: (laughs) Working with Ford is a little bit surreal. It's almost 120 years old, right? So to all of us working there and being a part of it now, it's like, it's bigger than all of us, right? It's, it's got so much history. Mm -hmm. The brand is so well known. And, you know, you have each of us within Ford working on our own thing. And it's super cool. At the same time, the way we feel, and especially how we feel within Ford Pro is that we can do something really, really meaningful and be a part of sports history. So that's really cool. Sport Pro is a organization that focuses on serving commercial and fleet vehicle customers. So these are large fleets like couriers. They can be governments that have vehicles on the road or government divisions like United States Postal Service is an example. They can be small fleets, uh, fleets of the size one, you know, maybe a plumber using a transit van to operate their business. They are all our customer and they have very different needs than I'll call them retail vehicle customers. When you have a vehicle that you're using to operate a business, the vehicles, your world, if it's not running or running properly, you're not making money. You're not making your customers happen, right? So they have very different relationships with vehicles. And Ford Pro is all about fostering that relationship and making our customers more productive within their business.
1: That's super interesting. Can you give us a brief overview of size and structure of your engineering team at Ford Pro right now?
0: So there's over 300 software engineers in Ford Pro technology. I'll take a little bit of a step back. So we have Ford Pro, which is the bigger business unit, and we have Ford Pro technology, which is building the software platform. That enables our mission. So within Ford Pro Technologies, about 300 software engineers, a hundred different product teams that are practicing extreme programming and a whole bunch of product managers and, and data scientists, data analysts as a part of that team. Well, so I think Ford Pro Technologies is about 600, 650 today.
1: Wow. I didn't realize it was so big. Honestly, what kind of software are you building within Fort Pro? What kind of stack are you using? I'm pretty sure that people will be excited to know how, how such a big company again operates. It's very interesting for me.
0: Yeah, let me let me talk about the stack a bit in terms of like application types. There's all sorts. We have quite a few web applications that we build in React across the stack. Quite a few cloud applications like APIs running in Google Cloud Platform on Cloud Run. We have data products that are more in the big data space uh, and, you know, we have data infrastructure associated with that. Um, Mm So that's quite a big part of our team. Our our effort is knowing our users and exposing that data to our applications that are built on top of the four Pro platform. We have mobile apps. We have platform-centric apps that provide APIs around users and security and access management, those types of things. Pretty like, diverse set of, of apps, I'd say, profiles. In terms of tech stack, we tend to normalize on React, JS for front-ends, Cloud Run, we use a bit of TypeScript for our backend for front-end type applications. We tend to norm on Java. For typically, they've done a lot of Java over the years and there's a lot of great developers within Ford that we can access that build Java apps. We like the Spring framework and the tech stack there.
1: Okay, cool. The Better
0: Build is brought to you by Mission. Mission is an award-winning network of senior-level software engineers and product builders, backed by a platform that helps engineers continue to learn, grow, and connect. To get your team of fully managed, fully remote, and fully flexible
1: software engineers, or to join our community, visit us at mission.dev. I know you're using Extreme Programming at for Pro, which in a nutshell is a software development methodology that's been invented, I think, by software engineer during his time at Chrysler. And I think also, and correct me if I'm wrong, we call it Extreme Programming because it's taking best practices to extreme levels. That yeah. sounds scary at first. <laughs> it sounds
0: scary. That was all correct. So the original okay. foundations were developed by Kent Beck and. He's a big figure within XG programming and has been practicing that for decades, written also awesome books. And if, if you really want to get a good deep dive into XG programming, you can't get better than some of his material.
1: You've been in this industry for quite a long time and you know how we are software engineers, like many framework methodologies such as Scrum. There's always controversy in all of these uh, different processes, right? And it's not necessarily well perceived by every software engineer, but I want to to deep dive into this topic because you brought some very interesting, fresh new angles that honestly I've not necessarily thought about. For example, you talk about the benefits of extreme programming in terms of inclusivity. Uh, I never heard about that, you know, honestly. I think we're here to debunk some meat today about extreme. So, can you introduce us to extreme programming in more detail? And I think why Ford Pro decided to adopt this methodology?
0: You got it. So, I think of extreme programming as a couple things, a few things. So, one is it's an overall approach, there's principles and there's values, and then there's the practices that implement those approaches. So, how I would describe the approach is, if you take all the best practices from software engineering and you crank them all to 11, what would that look like? What you end up getting is a set of practices that are feedback driven. Cause it turns out that when developers have feedback, they're the best ones to implement that quickly. So if they're talking to users, if they're talking to business stakeholders, if they're getting that feedback directly. They're in a good position to make those in the moment product decisions rather than someone outside of the team. It's iterative, right? So they work in short iterations. Autonomy is important too, right? So all the decision makers that are needed to shape a product, get it out the door quickly, build the right thing for users, business, they need to be developing the software, not folks outside of it, right? Don't get me wrong, we get all sorts of input from other folks within Ford Pro and Ford on what we should build, but that team is making the bulk of the decisions in the moment, allowing them to move quickly get feedback about their product quickly. And that's extreme programming. What it looks like is practices like test-driven development. Everyone has to test their software. Tests are great. Tell us if our software is working. Why not start with writing a test first in the form of a unit test? So that test tells you, hey, before you go and build something, what does it mean for that piece of code to actually work working? And you can write that out. Then You get your test written, then you write your implementation. You build up that functionality in the app. So this is really cool. What it amounts to is you've just documented your code. You're explicitly stating what you like to do and you can run it again and again and again. You can write hundreds of thousands of lines of code with an associated set of unit tests. run them again and again, and that's great. You've all felt that crunch, or most engineers have felt that crunch where it's like deadline time, it's pressure's on, you got to get something at the door. You can run your test suite and it's there for you to support you. And another example is continuous integration and continuous deliveries. This is a methodology where as the application is developed, it's continuously integrated into all your environments and pushed to production as soon as you can thereby giving you access to your feedback quickly. You're able to test out integrations as they get promoted to the environments. Even before you release to production, while you're developing your MVP, even before that you've deployed to your application many, many times, and it's been tested throughout that deployment process. Retrospect is where you get the full team together at the end of the week or at the end of the month or at the end of a release and you share feedback with one another. You know, that's a part of extreme programming as well as sharing feedback with others in an empathetic way with courage. Trunk based development, which, you know, I, I, that's probably something newer to most folks or it's probably popped up. It came popular in the past 10 years. I think people practicing it are not even sure they're doing extreme programming in that case, what you get is all the developers on your team, committing their code back to the trunk of your repo. With these really mighty small feature changes, and you can have individuals deploying to production every 20, 15 minutes, right? So that's an example of extreme programming methodology. Probably the most controversial one, which raises eyebrows, is a methodology called pair programming. That is when you have two engineers, and you have two monitors, two mice, two keyboards, hooked up to one machine, and they co-develop code together. Going back to this model of like, why would we do that, right? Well, code reviews are really good. So let's crank that up to 11, constant code review. That's what happens in pair programming. And it leads to all sorts of side effects and benefits. And so back to your point about, hey, why did we do this? Why did we choose this within Ford Pro? First of all, we have tons of customer input that we need to act on. And we know we need to be quick. These iterative... User feedback-driven, rapid, high-frequency deployment models is very useful to us. We we need to be able to pivot based on what our users are saying and what the business is saying. So that's part of it. Also, in terms of Ford culture, Ford is like I said, they're one hundred and twenty-year-old company. Devotion to quality is really ingrained in Ford culture. These extreme programming practices work so well is because. They challenge board in a little bit, like, hey, we shouldn't build software the same way we build cars, which cars are, they get released on like a yearly release cadence. So to some degree, we have to challenge that culture of wow. rigorously testing everything. These kind of like big waterfall efforts. Actually we do rigorously test everything for a pro, but we do it in an agile way while well, we're delivering really extreme programming. It's very perpendicular, I'd say to the way that Ford culture has been traditionally. And Ford's gone on that journey, right? We're building software like I think a lot of modern companies are. However, we're doing it using extreme programming,
1: which not a lot of companies are doing. That's super interesting. Was extreme programming there when you joined Ford Pro? Yes,
0: back in 2015, when I was with Pivotal Labs, my customer was Ford. We kind of seeded it. This is super cool. We seeded some of these practices. Like I said, Pivotal Labs, what we did was enable our customers using these methodologies. We co-delivered an app while teaching their team how to use sheet programming amongst other things. And then that engagement went on for a while and I didn't talk to them. And then I got the opportunity to re-enter Ford and it's like, oh gosh, look, that stuff we were teaching Ford at that time has kind of grown. And there are people doing sheet programming better than I thought the way that we were doing it back in 2015. What I think is different from when I entered to where we are now is now we've got pretty good at doing it at scale with efficiency and with predictability.
1: Do you know why Ford has not adopted the extreme programming methodology? Well,
0: they have in a number of areas. They don't do it through and through. Some things you just can't be super agile with. Any software that's on the vehicle, Has to be tested in a certain way due to compliance and regulations. A lot of the things I just mentioned become harder in an environment like that where safety is the number one concern and you're on these bigger release schedules, and that's just a reality. But Ford has adopted extreme programming, it's just probably not at all levels. And I don't want to say that the way we practice it in Ford ProTax, except for it also in Ford, they're on their own and they choose the software engineering practices that best fit them.
1: I totally get it. As a company, the necessity to those kind of framework in a critical path. Let's be honest. There's some life, so you need some framework. You need to have all of these for you right now. You think that extreme is more efficient than other practices uh, in terms of velocity, impact, software quality in general. Here's what I believe.
0: I think you can build high performing software development teams that don't use extreme programming or use only just a subset of those methodologies that I explained. I think you can also build high-performing software engineering teams, practicing extreme programming. I wouldn't be able to say that one is clearly better from a velocity perspective. Some of the other things you just mentioned as well, but it really comes down to the individuals and the culture. So if I ask you, what's a better exercise? Is yoga better or is playing basketball better? For me, it's the yeah. one I'll get up every morning and do. So if it's basketball, I'm going to go do it and I don't want to hurt myself either. So that's the other part. It's the thing that you'll stick with over time. So it depends greatly on the team and the individual and the company. And I think that people would be very surprised at the velocity that we work within Ford when we're using something like curve programming which gets the criticism of you take two engineers and you put them on the same problem shouldn't that aren't you getting half the output pair programming done poorly yeah you're going to get half the output or less if you look at solo development you have a person just developing their user story on their own they typically don't code eight hours a day they might do three then they might do five they build a little bit they reflect on it it's kind of like a meditation you know, what I mean, and this is all just sort of napkin map high level, but you're not really losing anything by keeping the keyboard going seven to eight hours a day in a full pair. The other thing is how do you even measure velocity? Is it dollar value? Is it how many releases per day or per week you're doing, et cetera? So it's difficult to measure, but I do think that XP can be as effective or more effective
1: than this a little ball in terms of extreme programming or Scrum or other agile methodology in general, I think what it brings outside of course of shorter cycle in general, it's about consistency, playing methodology in a consistent way you're gonna get better results, right? Of course, no engineer wants to get that over process. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to have process just for the sake of having processes. But i like to explain, I think when people understand that a certain process is driving better quality, better collaboration, I think you're going to have everyone excited about it, right? Especially with the pair programming thing. I know a lot of people who don't like that, but if you see that through the lens of more collaboration, more inclusivity, I think people will understand. That's the key thing. We want people to collaborate. And I think if you see that as a way for software engineer to be, first of all, less lonely, it's cool sometimes to get someone with you trying to understand what's the best way to solve this particular problem. People like that, right? They like it. Some people don't like it. It's egos clashing. Battle it
0: out. Which one's better? Which pattern's better? Go and implement that. But... It's not all about lines of code and saying, your developers are pushing it this much line of code, then that's better. What about your time to onboard somewhat onto a team? Take a month before they can get into a spot where they can be approving pull requests, can you scale up a team quickly? If new scope came in, new priorities came in, how long does it take you to move from four engineers to eight engineers? So when you're practicing things like test-driven development, which gives that stability and predictability because you're getting all those feedback signals as you make builds, that's going to help your team scale, right? Because those new engineers are like, look, this test is failing. Something that someone wrote nine months ago isn't working. And that's a platform for scaling your team. When it comes to pair programming, take any part of the code base. There's at least two people who know the font into what into it. You have two subject matter experts and you get this cell multiplication of if you want to scale your team, you just kind of rotate people around and you can grow your team just by pairing them with another person who knows a code base. I think what people get caught up in, is pair programming really efficient or not? You're really ignoring a lot of the things which developers will tell you you struggle with, and that's, hey, we don't have time to go and teach this person, This I'm the tech lead, I don't have time to go and teach this new person that joined the team all the elements of the code base. You can rely on the other team because you've got that subject matter expertise. So I think people hone in on the pair programming velocity thing a little too much. You get all these great side effects. And the side effects are what would make me appreciate pair programming and these other XP practices the most.
1: I like this side and how you explain it. For such a large organization, if you want to have a good ramp up time, you need to have this type of methodology, whether it's pair programming or just have very good documentation and a very good onboarding program in general. You need that because there's two things here that you're solving. I don't think that our listeners who are not necessarily software engineer don't understand. I think that there's nothing worse for a software engineer first, when you join a new company or new project, to have the feeling to be left aside and to have to learn by his own and how this system is working together. That's number one. Number two, there's no worse thing for a software engineer not to have feedback on his work. That's horrible. A lot of people don't like to be over-processed, and I understand that. I'm one of them. But there's nothing worse than not having feedback about your work. It's true not just for software engineers, it's true for everyone in the world. You want to have an impact. You want to see people using your product and you like to build the product people want.
0: Yeah, exactly. And getting feedback too late.
1: You have to do the work and software engineers don't like to redo the same work, you know, because yeah. they did not get the right requirement first.
0: And that's exactly it. One of the other challenges that our industry faces is inclusion.
1: I love to hear that because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of side effects of extreme programming we don't read in books. And I'm pretty sure you have a lot of insight about it, right?
0: Yeah. There's some things that all the literature out there and what is extreme programming and the thought behind it and how those methodologies were originally created is great. There's some stuff you just don't read in the books, which I think is pretty interesting to talk about. One thing we're trying to do is make our environments more inclusive to folks that don't come from my background which is a computer science background at a university we're able to hire folks that have like history degree or non-core computer science computer engineering degrees using these methodologies the mix of skills that we find to be successful are our technical aptitude being able to learn technology communication empathy is very important especially when you're doing pair programming like taking feedback and giving it all day long or a good chunk of the day is exhausting <laughs> just being transparent that's a thing it's tough it takes work if you take someone who has all those things maybe didn't have access to the education resources but they have all those other things we can put them in a pair programming environment and they can learn from someone who's 20 30 years into their career and help them grow some of the best engineers i work with they've come from a physics background or a history background and they do great, right? So you look at XP and it helps solve all these challenges that we just developers space day in, day out.
1: Do you think that the inclusivity is built in into the extreme programming methodology, or is it the way you applied it at Ford Pro? Because one can say, Well, you can do the same just hiring senior people, but you decided to go, no, we want to have people with diverse backgrounds. And I'm pretty sure that the people who accept to join Ford Pro and they know that you are using this methodology. I'm pretty sure it helps you also for a certain type of profile.
0: We need strong core, strong developers. We build from that. I'm the firm believer in we need teams that are built with seniors, intermediates, juniors. We need that growth machine and it makes vibrant teams. Some people who are early on in their careers are the most eager. You drop them into an extreme programming, pair programming environment, And they take off, they absolutely just take off. I think they take off faster than left on their own in a solo environment. I don't know if I can say we do things in a unique way. I think that at the core of extreme programming, it has some really good values and like courage, feedback, team autonomy. Those are just good. I didn't make those up, but they do make more inclusive environments. When you have to give feedback to someone that you work with eight hours a day, you're typically doing it in a more kind way. It just makes a great environment.
1: I like that. I'm pretty sure we're gonna have people listening to us and some people that are considering the adoption of extreme programming inside their organization. What advice would you offer them? What does it take to, to implement such a methodology?
0: Start with one team and really starts with one pair. Start with that. Try it out if you're really interested give it a shot start small and if you have a larger environment that you're putting them in that's not using extreme programming give them a little bit of space a little bit of air cover to explore and find their groove a little bit start with one team start small i think there's that and there's folks out there you put extreme programming in job description they'll be like yeah Sign me up or let me go talk to those folks. They're definitely out there. You can also go with a partner, someone that can help you build out these capabilities that's commonly done and don't expect results overnight. This stuff takes, if you're doing it from scratch, it can take years to adopt this stuff and really see the benefits where things tend to go wrong or tend to go in the wrong direction with implementing agile and extreme within a large enterprise is when you try and integrate those folks back into these bigger programs and projects too. That's the thing to be really thoughtful about is how you do that. And actually that's an important part. After you get past 20, 30, 40 people practicing stream programming, how do you get to the 300? That's something we've really done a good job at for Protech is understand how to do this at scale. It's not perfect, but it's uh, some of these stuff you don't read in the books. It's a journey and be
1: open-minded and uh, at me on Twitter. Do you think it's possible? To start from scratch using extreme programming in your organization without someone like you who've been using extreme programming for a decade? It's
0: very, very hard. So, you need the right leadership and you need the right support, number one. And they might not know anything about extreme programming, but they need to be at least believers. Without someone who's seen how to get to good, like what does good look like? You're not going to be able to easily get to it. You'll probably fail. If there's someone out there that wants to really grow that practice from scratch, you would, you really benefit from having someone that's been through all the tough discussions that just see failure and gone through it. Having a leader that you can work with to enable that is probably pretty crucial.
1: Make a lot of sense. Let's move on to the next topic. So I want to talk about what you're seeing in the future for, for the software development industry. What are the growing trends you're excited about in the software development industry?
0: So like many folks, I am blown away by AI. I love the tools like GitHub Copilot. Like, wow. If you've ever used GitHub Copilot, that's what it's like repair program. programmer. You have someone giving you suggestions as you code. It's super cool. And it's uh, we by like power of those tools. And as developers today, with the AI technology out there that we've got access to that we didn't have five years ago. So that's on my mind. And so I'll bring it back to what I'm particularly interested in is how we can use AI or large language models to develop PIs, application programming interfaces. One challenge that we all have, this is abstract of the extreme programming discussion, every good product company that's putting a product out there has this challenge of like, you've got a product and hopefully it makes money or on the path to make money. So you've got a business and then you've got a set of users that it's targeted for, and then you've got a tech stack underneath that has apps and data. And so what you're trying to do is find new value for users that unlocks new business that kind of watch, rinse, repeat. And sometimes you go talk to a user of your product and you ask it, Hey, what do you want this product to do? They tell you something you never would have thought of before. And are like, well, actually, that's not a million idea. I get what they're asking, but that's not going to take my business to the next level. What AI can really do is unlock new opportunities within APIs, where if you have this sort of rigid API, sort of restful APIs that you do these specific things. You have this data, you have these sets of security requirements and legal requirements and teach your large language model, what those are. And I don't know if that's actually the right term, I'll just call it AI, but you know, you can use AI to understand all of that and let the user tell you what they want to do. And the interface you're putting in front of the user is that, that large language model interpreter. So let me give you a weird example. And that is like, what if we talk to a customer and they said, well, I have multiple vehicles and they have different upfits on the back. So different machineries. Our customers are moving from job to job. Right. And if customers happy, then, you know, they're happy. So they're all about their customers. Let's say the day is minus 20 Fahrenheit or Celsius, really cold day. Doesn't matter metric or imperial. And they say, okay, Ford Pro mobile app. When I'm five minutes away from the shop, start up my car and do a remote start on that one. So the diesel engine can be warm and I can go straight to the next job. I think you're supposed to warm up diesels for longer than that in minus 20, but you get the picture, right? Yeah. Anyways, so so like I got that feedback, that's not a million dollar idea for my app. That's a million dollar idea to that individual. Could I not create a large language model that knew all my APIs that took that dialogue, that command, and orchestrated the API interactions to make that happen. So he's driving back, five minutes away, his next vehicle starts, it's warmed up, he's ready to go. And I might not ever get that user feedback in an interview to build that. I think that there's a way to use APIs in that way where they're put in front of users is really flexible in ways that I'm not able to think about as a product developer.
1: That's great. I don't want you to share any any secrets, but do you have any plan on your roadmap to use new generative AI stuff in general at Ford? We are
0: some stuff I can't share, but in terms of how Ford uses it, there's just so many use cases that you could use AI in Ford and we already use it. For sure. But it, this concept of large language model is a little bit newer to us. We're looking at how it can help us with operations too, just internally. We're on the documentation that cross forming to use that. We're exploring how do we use some of that stuff with our actual users. So yeah, it's on the tip of the
1: sphere for us. One last question for you. What is one piece of advice you'd give to upcoming software engineering leaders? So upcoming software engineering
0: leaders, the biggest lesson, I've had various leadership roles and they all say director of engineering. So I had like four of them, but what the role demanded was very different. And the first hard lesson was that what works in one role might not work in the next And so the wind in your sails in one role might be the wind going in the other direction in another role be open-minded. If I walked into a role and they're like, we shouldn't do extreme programming for like these reasons that. I would be open-minded to it. And I would sit there and say I happen to be in the position where I just happened to be doing the back-to-back-to-back. To back. So it worked out. But be open-minded about trying these things and not just rehashing the same thing that you had to do in other roles.
1: That's a very good one. I'm a software engineer. I was listening to this podcast. I really loved what I hear. Where can I find you to join your team?
0: You can go to com. There is a career section. The URL, I think, is actually careers.ford.com, and you can look up Ford Pro.
1: That's great. Thank you so much, Scott. It was really great having you today. Thanks for joining me for this episode. We hope it has shed light on the nuances of Xtreet Programming. We hope that it inspired our listener to explore new avenues in software engineering. So thank you for that. Have a great day.
0: You as well. Appreciate it. Had a fun Bye. chat. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred listening service. Stay connected with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, mission.dev, for more information on our network and platform. See you next episode.